Welcome to the Building the Elite Podcast, where we discuss the physical, mental, and emotional aspects of human performance within military special operations by looking at the principles that can help anyone thrive in chaotic and challenging environments. This is Jonathan from Building the Elite. Regardless of your occupation, a key component of resilience and performance under stress is self-regulation. Self-regulation has an immediate effect in that it helps you regulate your cognitive function and make better decisions in difficult situations. In the medium term, it helps to modulate circadian rhythms, prevent burnout, and manage energy and recovery. And in the long term, it helps to build beneficial secondary emotions so that we have strong, adaptive, reflexive behaviors in the future. Our decision-making is strongly influenced by our emotions, including a form of them called secondary emotions. Secondary emotions are what we feel in response to other emotions, and they can be much more complex than being happy or sad. They're more like subconscious internal drives that pull us or push us around. Those internet memes that start with that feeling when are describing secondary emotions. When our secondary emotions work out well, we call them instincts. When they cause us to do stupid things, we shrug and say, I was in a weird place, I guess. Or, it seemed like the thing to do at the time. This is Craig from BTE. The survival expert Lawrence Gonzalez writes about the role of secondary emotions in high-stakes situations in his book Deep Survival. In one example, a fighter pilot is coming in for a landing on an aircraft carrier and he's too slow and too low. Everyone on the flight deck signals him to pull up, go around, and come in again. He ignores them and fixates on the deck and on landing his jet. He crashes into the end of the carrier, tearing his plane in half and instantly killing his co-pilot. The pilot was being driven by a well-developed secondary emotion, that the deck of the carrier meant safety, In an intensely dangerous moment, his ability to reappraise the rapidly changing situation was impaired, and he reverted to what had worked for him in the past and what he had emotionally associated with safety and the resolution of danger, which was getting his plane on the ground. The pull of that emotion was so powerful that he couldn't resist it, even when his circumstances at the time made it an inappropriate, dangerous impulse. The pilot was mentally tough and fixated on his goal, but he was incapable of updating his mental map in response to a rapidly changing situational territory. In the 1960s, an Australian doctor named Claire Weeks was talking to a friend of hers, a World War I veteran, about what she called second fear. Second fear is what we now call a secondary emotion. Dr. Weeks was ahead of her time. She learned to understand secondary emotions through her own painful experiences. After a medical misdiagnosis and a terrible six months needlessly locked away in a tuberculosis isolation ward in her 20s, Weeks was having occasional flashbacks of anxiety. She would feel her heart begin to race and then react to that feeling with a sense of fear. This, in turn, made the physiological symptoms worse. She couldn't escape it. Her veteran friend related this to shell-shocked World War I soldiers who often had similar symptoms. He theorized that she couldn't stop her heart from racing 
because she was afraid of it. Running from or fighting the racing heart was making it worse. He asked her to try accepting the feeling instead and floating with it. This was a breakthrough. Dr. Weeks filtered this idea through her background in medicine and evolutionary biology and began working with patients, many of them veterans from both world wars, who struggled with runaway stress responses. The first fear that Weeks described is rooted in our fight-or-flight sympathetic response. It's hardwired into our nervous systems. The second fear is more cognitive. As Weeks put it, it usually starts with, what if, or oh my god. You can insert here the phrase that you'd be more likely to use. This thought then triggers the cycle of fear, adrenaline, more fear. Weeks gave her patients a six-word mantra to use as a circuit breaker to interrupt this process and shut down the second fear. That mantra was, face, accept, float. Let time pass. Face means don't run away. Accept means own it. And float means don't fight it. Let time pass means to give your body time to shift back toward a more parasympathetic state and clear the stress response. Although Weeks died in 1990 at the age of 87, her books are still in print and her advice continues to help people. Secondary emotions aren't always dangerous. In many cases, they're the instinctive reflexes or drives that keep us alive and moving forward toward our goals in moments when we may have limited information and have to make quick decisions under a lot of stress. Years ago, I met a Sherpa in Nepal, and we talked about the pack that he was carrying up a steep trail in the mountains. It was loaded with sacks of rice, and it weighed more than he did. He paused in thought for a moment, and then said, More carry weight is more money for family. So for this Sherpa, the secondary emotion that underpinned his capacity to carry massive amounts of weight up Himalayan trails was the association between the feeling of those heavy pack straps and the satisfaction of ensuring his family's well-being. Like any other skill, shaping the development of our secondary emotions is not magic. There is a sequential, knowable process by which it occurs. The primary means through which you learn self-regulation and shape your secondary emotions is by using stress inoculation as your framework. Stress inoculation somewhat mirrors the stages of motor learning and has several goals. To help people recognize and understand their own natural stress responses, to help them learn to control these responses when they emerge, to gradually increase the level of difficulty and challenge, and finally, to do this in a controlled, relatively safe training environment before exposing students to real-life, more threatening situations. You do this while keeping several other criteria in mind. People must learn and become familiar with the stressors that could be part of a given situation, such as the mental and physical impacts of extreme fatigue. Those stressors must be progressive and cumulative, difficult enough to challenge the student, but not overwhelming. Each stage of training should prevent or manage the buildup of anxiety. Each training activity should develop the required technical skills, such as movement quality and positioning, or control of stress responses, and not interfere with the development of those skills. 
So, think of a common situation in your life in which you regularly make rapid subconscious decisions, especially if those decisions are made under pressure or fatigue. This could be anything, such as the toughest moment of a workout when you choose to either push harder through the discomfort or fade back and go through the motions just enough to finish. Or it could be a difficult moment at work when you have so many projects to complete that you want to just say screw it and let them all fall by the wayside. Or maybe it's when you arrive home late after a long day and you realize that you don't have anything healthy ready to go for dinner. In these moments, what do you feel impelled to do? In what direction do your secondary emotions start to nudge you? The decisions we make in these moments add up, and they have a strong influence over the course of our lives. And those decisions are driven by our secondary emotions. Remember here the concept of self-hurting. This is where we subconsciously refer to our past decisions to guide our actions in the present. In other words, our decisions don't just reveal our preferences, they also shape them. If we use self-regulation in a difficult moment to better focus ourselves and to make better decisions, we can, over time, shape our secondary emotions to make that decision our default impulse. To do this, look at your decision-making in the personal situation of your choosing. Ask yourself, what is my natural stress response here? What emotional drive is triggered by that stress response? Does that emotional drive push me toward doing what supports my long-term goals and the person I want to be? If not, how can I improve it? From here, every time you're in this situation, you have an opportunity to practice. You can't directly control your emotions, but you can control how you respond to them. You can shape your stress response by focusing inward and paying attention to the factors that are under your control such as your breathing and your thoughts. Your most effective lever for change here is often in your thoughts and beliefs that underpin an emotion. The next time you're in a difficult situation in which you struggle to manage your emotions well, run through this quick sequence. Number one, identify your stress response. What are you feeling? What is your body doing? And what is happening in your mind? Number two, Use a specific skill to regulate your stress response. Start with controlling your breathing with a focus on deep, slow exhales. From there, you could consider other mental skills like segmenting or compartmentalization. Number three, identify the secondary emotion triggered by the situation and your stress response. What do your impulses drive you to do at this moment? Number four, If your emotional impulses are pushing you in a direction you don't want to go, think of them like bad weather. You can feel the wind blow and watch storm clouds pass overhead, but you can still do what you need to do anyway. The weather will pass. It doesn't have to change your actions. Acknowledge what you're feeling and then recognize that a temporary feeling doesn't have to be in charge of your actions. You don't have to feel like doing the right thing to do it anyway. Once the moment has passed and you've got some perspective, your final step is to run a feedback loop. So number five is ask yourself how it went, how well you were able to regulate your stress response, and how effectively you were able to act in the way that you had planned for. Remember that we learn by making and correcting errors at the edge of our ability, so look for mistakes and places to improve. 
Refer back to the principles of stress inoculation and keep in mind that you may have to adjust the intensity of the situation to keep yourself just on the edge of your ability where success is challenging but possible. Thoughts make feelings. So by regulating our stress response well enough to gain control of our thoughts, we're able to steer the direction of our emotions and our decision-making. With practice repetitions, this helps reinforce more effective secondary emotional drives so that when we're tired, overwhelmed, or under intense pressure, the urge that wells up in our mind pushes us toward the decisions that align with our values and goals. That's it for today. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Make sure and subscribe to the Building the Lead podcast on whatever player or podcast host you prefer. You can find us at buildingtheelite.com where you can learn more or let us know what topics you'd like to hear more about in upcoming episodes. We'll see you next time.